You know, that first Easter Sunday was so good because the two days before had been so bad. Um, When we think about Easter, the whole events of Easter, Good Friday commemorates the crucifixion, and Easter Sunday commemorates the resurrection. But that Saturday, that day in between, commemorates desperation for many people. Uh, On that Saturday, it seemed that Christ was totally defeated, that as his body lay utterly dead in a rock tomb, his heart sliced open and his tongue gone solid, death was absolute. No one was betting on the resurrection, it seemed, at that point in time. In matter of fact, in Scripture, only, there's only one recorded event or one passage of Scripture that's recorded about anything that happened on that Saturday in between the Friday and the Sunday. And that's over in Matthew chapter 27. It says this, on that day, or the next day, the, one, the day after the preparation day, and that was the Good Friday, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. And they said this, Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, After three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise the disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate asked, answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. And so they went and made the tomb secure by posting or putting the seal on the stone and posting the guard. Um, little did they know that no concern was necessary because it's, and it's strange that the enemies of Christ remembered the words and the teachings of Christ better than his followers on that day and during that time because they remembered his prediction that he would rise on the third day. And while they did not necessarily think that would happen, they were concerned that the default, his followers, the disciples, would go and, uh, and uh, steal his body from the tomb and say that it happened. But for Christ's followers, that wasn't even on their radar, as we see in Scripture. Um, Thursday night, at the rest of Jesus, while the heat was on, the disciples fled. They ran away. And now on Saturday, they had no plan at all to steal his body. The disciples were in meltdown, and while Jesus' opponents celebrated his death, his disciples were hiding in fear, a feeling that they might too receive a cross. Now, there's been skeptics throughout history, lots of skeptics about the resurrection, about the, the facts that, that happened. There's been all kinds of, uh, of theories about what really happened on that, uh, from, the, from the time of the cross to the time of the resurrection. And people have come up with all sorts of concocted theories. One of the most popular theories is called the swoon theory. The swoon theory says that Jesus never actually died on the cross. He simply swoons near death. But after two days when he was placed in a tomb, the cool air of the tomb revived him. And somehow he pushed away the heavy stone, took on a detachment of Roman soldiers, and escaped. That's pretty bizarre. Now, I like the way that uh, J. Vernon McGee actually talks about this. He said one time, J. Vernon McGee is a biblical scholar. And he talked about one time that uh, a lady sent him a letter. This was back in the old days when you actually wrote letters and not emails. And she wrote him a letter, and the letter said this. Uh, Dear Pastor McGee, our preacher said that on Easter Sunday, Jesus swooned on the cross, that he didn't really die, and the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think about that? And in, J- and in classic J. Vernon McGee's fashion, uh, this is what he wrote back to the lady. He said, Dear sister, beat your preacher with a heavy whip 39 times. Nail him to a cross. 
the nails through the ankles and the wrist, hang him in the sun for several hours, run a spear through his heart, place him in an airless tomb for two days, and tell me what happens. <laughs> so much for the swoon theory. There are always skeptics, and even those in that time were, that were skeptical, uh, some of Jesus' followers were, were skeptical that what he said was going to be true because they didn't respond in the way that you would think they would. Because on this Saturday, this day between, between the crucifixion and the resurrection, uh, it may be understandable for the disciples' mood because everything had changed in their lives. But for them, basically, Saturday was this kind of a day. Saturday was a no-hope, no-courage day. A no-hope, no-courage day. The disciples hid behind closed doors, and the disciples seemed, in a sense, uh, didn't seem to trust Jesus' promises of a resurrection. Because it seems as we read Scripture, even though on a Saturday we read the next day, it didn't seem that any of the disciples were thinking in their mind, well, now, what am I going to say to Jesus when I see him, when he's risen? Um, no one on Saturday was thinking, how is he going to appear? Will he visit with us? Well, uh, no one was thinking that way. Saturday was utter despair for the disciples and the followers of Jesus. And you would think, and, and we talked about this yesterday in our men's group, you would think that someone, one of these disciples, one of these followers of Jesus, would clearly remember the teachings that he had said time and time and time again clearly, that he would come back on the third day. I mean, for instance, in Mark chapter 9, he said this, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's a term for Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. I mean, all, how many of us would think that the, some of the disciples, at least someone, would remember that and do the math? And they're going, okay, Friday plus a couple of days. It's Sunday. He's going to rise. But no one seemed to get that at that time. But Sunday, Saturday was a no hope, no courage day. And on Sunday morning when they came to visit the body of Jesus, that's what they thought they were going to visit, a body. They came to embalm him, not to talk to him. And we read this in Scripture in one of the passages. It says in Mark chapter 16, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could go to anoint Jesus' body. This is some of Jesus' closest followers. They did not think he was going to be alive. They came to anoint a body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? It may have been a Sunday morning, but they still had a Saturday, Saturday mindset, this, this despair, this gloom. Do you ever feel in your life that sometimes that your life is stuck on Saturday? It, 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 there's, there's, everything is gray. Everything is... is you put all your eggs in the wrong basket. You uh, hitched your wagon to the wrong star to use some of the phrases that we use sometimes. You feel like you have no more courage, no more hope, uh, no more reason to be positive. You feel like your world is stuck on that Saturday. We can easily get stuck on a Saturday mindset in our lives. We really can't. Living with a Saturday state of mind, no hope, no courage, uh, no plans, believing that death is the final end to everything. And the reality is that everyone does die. But we try to avoid that at all costs, do we not? We try to eat healthy, we work out, we do everything we can to avoid the potential of something that's going to be inevitable, and that's death. But I'll tell you, everybody dies. Elvis died. He really did. I don't care what the sightings say, you know? Uh, JFK died. 
Princess Diana, everybody dies somewhere along the way. And so often in our life, because we don't deal with death in a, in a positive way, love gets buried in a grave, hope gets buried in a grave, and, and we ask, is this all there is? Because the reality is this, if we do not have an answer for the grave, you will not live life to the full. I don't know, this, this is, could, could be a bummer today, but have you ever thought about how you will face your final, final moments? We don't want to think about that, do we? No, we don't want to think about it. But Jesus, let me tell you this morning, though, one of the greatest stories of the resurrection is this, is that we, Jesus enables us to face death with courage and with hope. And this is how he does it. He takes us from a Saturday mindset where there's no hope and, and no future, where death has defeated life, to a Sunday state of mind where life has d- defeated death. And, and he moves us from that last day of death to the first day of life. And so for Jesus, in a real sense, the, the, one of the messages of the resurrection is this, is that Sunday is a day of eternal love, of eternal life, and eternal hope. I've seen people over the years in ministry, I've, I've known many people who've moved from this Saturday mindset, this defeated mindset where they're fearful of everything in life to a Sunday mindset. I will never forget years ago in the previous church that I was in, and I've been here at Great Oaks almost 11 years now, but when I first, the church previous to that, a few years before I left that church, and I was there 13 years, I'll never forget one Sunday morning. Um, it was a Baptist church, by the way, and so we had a come forward invitation and, and the whole thing. And, and, and one Sunday morning, this guy is in the church. His name is Paul. Paul, at the invitation time, walked down the aisle. And, and this was like flooring to everybody because Paul was uh, about 70 years old. Paul had been in the church for over 20 years. And so we didn't have a clue. I thought maybe he's come forward to rededicate his life, to, to pray with me or do something. I didn't really know what he was. But he came forward and he says, I want to come forward to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And as I began to talk to Paul, he began to share this really sad story about how all of his life he'd grown up in this, this really harsh environment. And that he saw God as this judgmental, harsh person who, who he could never measure up to. And all of his life he felt like that he was defeated. That he could never be good enough to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And he shared how he had listened over, over the last several years, and I'd probably been there at the church for like seven years at that point. He'd listened to the, to the message over and over again of God's grace and his love and his mercy. Yes, the God is holy, we talked about Thursday night, but he's also loving God. And he began to understand that this loving God had done something for him on Easter and, and on the cross that he could not do for himself. And he finally accepted that. It's 70 years old. And he wasn't like he was out in the community. He was in church. But I want to tell you that Paul's life changed after that because he went from this Saturday mindset of being defeated and hopeless and feel like there's no hope to a person who was much more joyful in his life because he realized in a real sense that the story of Easter is really a story about hope. That God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And we see that in the scripture story itself, the, script, the story of Easter. Mary Magdalene came to Jesus' tomb and she was stuck in a Saturday mindset. She really was. It says in John chapter 20 that Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated over Jesus' body, where Jesus' body had been. And one at the head, one at the foot. 
And then the angels ask her this question, woman, why are you crying? And then she says this, they have taken my Lord away. She said, I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and, and, and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Now, I want to pause for a moment and say this about Mary Magdalene. So often, uh, we don't know a whole lot about Mary Magdalene, but we know that on that day, she buried more than just a friend. She buried the only person on that weekend that had really ever helped her in her life. Because we read earlier in Scripture, in Mark chapter 16, verse 9, this, these really, this really odd comment about Mary and Jesus' relationship. It said, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, after he rose, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene out of whom he had driven seven demons. Now, I don't know if that says a lot to you, but let me tell you what that means. The word number seven in Scripture is a number of completion, of perfection. It means that Mary was completely, totally overwhelmed by this possession. Now, how it worked out in her life, we don't know. But the reality is she was completely overwhelmed, and people like that are not appealing to other people. You ever figured that out? You know, I don't know if you've ever met anybody you thought was demon-possessed. Maybe he's one of your kids. You know, I don't know what the deal is. But, but <laughs> if you think of the person who's the most obnoxious person, you know, this person cannot, you just can't be around. This is Mary, Mary Magdalene. And Jesus had come to her, and not only he had befriended her, but he had, in a real sense, what he had done is he had taken out of her life, he had helped her uh, to deal with the affliction she had in her life. But this Mary who had this kind of incredible relationship with Jesus Christ, this Mary, it never occurred to her when she came to the tomb. And she'd heard what Jesus taught, but it never occurred to her to think that it was what he would say he would do. He would rise from the dead. And then also she missed the messengers. I don't know about you guys, if I'd have showed up at a tomb and, there's a, and there's, there's the body's not there and there's a couple of guys and, you know, kind of glowing in white and they're sitting there in a the tomb and there's supposed to be soldiers around, at least you would ask the question, you know, what are you guys doing here? Who are you? See, there are times in our life, though, when despair is so deep and sadness is so thick and the walls seem so high that we think that we just can't get out of what we're under. And those tough times when we think that if anything is going to go bad, it's going to happen to us, that's kind of the mindset we have. And you know, in those times like that, when things are going that bad and we're kind of like overwhelmed with things, sometimes God can send miracle after miracle and messenger after messenger and we still miss it because we're so overwhelmed with life. But what does Jesus do during those times? Well, this is what he did with Mary. He says in John 20, verse 14, at this, Mary turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? See, Jesus didn't give up on Mary. He didn't look at her and go, woman, you know, just get on with it. You know, I mean, I'm not, you know who I am. Uh, toughen up. Uh, buck up and get tough. He, he asked her why she's crying. He comes to her, like he says in Scripture, like a gentle shepherd. Mary Magdalene, the one Jesus befriended and delivered from demonic possession, uh, had the sadness of sa Saturday covering her heart. As he came to Mary, he shows his patience with us. So often when we question, we think if we question anything about Jesus, he's going to like put us down. No, that's not the way Jesus is. He comes as a gentle shepherd. He's so patient with us. It's amazing. In life, the one pro uh, he's, so, he's so patient with us that one prophet, thinking about 
God's nature wrote these words about God. I love this out of Micah, the, ver- the ver- book of Micah in the Old Testament, describing who God is and who Jesus is. There is no other God like you, O Lord. You forgive the sins of your people who have survived. You do not stay angry forever, but you take pleasure in showing us your constant love. You will be merciful to us once again. It's a description of a God who is incredibly patient with us, even when we're not patient with ourselves. So let me ask you the question this morning. Are you in a season of darkness in your life? I, I can, without a doubt, I can say that in this room somewhere there's some people that are, that are going through a season of darkness in their life. Hopefully not everybody. That'd be a bummer, wouldn't it? But the thing is, is that I just want to say, that, and I know you don't want to hear this, but I'm going to say it anyway, that even if you're going through a season of darkness, this could be a good season for you because during those times you're stuck in Saturday, in a Saturday mindset, God does not get t- ticked off with you because you're not trusting very much. God is patient with us. And be like Mary and be quiet and listen because Jesus is also calling your name. Do what Mary did. You remember back in this, uh, a couple of verses ago when, when the angel asked her, you know, who are you looking for? What did she say? She said this, they have taken my Lord away. You know, it's easy to call Jesus Lord in good times. It really is. When the things are going well and everything, you can praise God, raise your hands, you know, get excited about Jesus Christ. It's in the tough times. It's hard to call Jesus Lord. But Mary calls here in, in one of her lowest times of all, thinking that Jesus had died upon the cross, he wasn't coming back. She calls him Lord. And Mary thought wrong, wrongly about who, who this, when, she, when she encountered Jesus, who he was. In verse 15b, she says, thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away... Tell me where you've put him, and I will go get him. Now, I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know how big Mary was. I don't expect her to be really huge, but she, I don't doubt she could pick up a guy, a dead, dead weight, and carried him anywhere. But her mindset was, at this point, I'll do anything to get reconnected with Jesus, anything in my life. That's the mindset of a person who really trusts him. Then Jesus speaks Mary's name and she realizes that Jesus, her Lord, is alive from the dead. He says this, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. It was an affectionate term for him, a a term recognizing who he was. And then Jesus, following this, we can read in Scripture, makes at least ten different appearances after his resurrection. In one of them, he was seen by over 500 people. And Saturday's sadness turned into Sunday's beauty from the cross to the resurrection. That's what Easter's all about. It's the hope that we can have that Jesus has ch- can change the despair we have in life to a hope and a future. You know, if, if there's a calendar in the coffee break room of heaven, I don't know if there is one of those or not, but if there is, it's stuck on, it's stuck on Sunday. There's only Sunday. It'll be Sunday, 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 Sunday in the coffee room because that's the way God wants us to understand it. And because it is Sunday, then you know, have you ever noticed this, that there's always a Sunday after a Saturday? What was yesterday? Come on, you can talk. Saturday, what's today? See see how it works? Always. Always. And and Saturday is the day of despair in Scripture, and now Sunday is the day of hope. But when you understand what the lesson of, of Easter is, And you live it every day, not just on Easter, but every day of your life, you'll understand that you don't have to be afraid of the grave any longer. You don't have to live in fear and in guilt 
anymore. Your sins are forgiven. Your death has been defeated. It's Sunday, and that is good news for all of us. Now, I understand this morning, maybe some of you are here and you're skeptical, okay? You're skeptical. That's fine. We have people that come to Great Oaks all the time that are skeptics, uh, and that's good. I'm glad you're here. I really am. You probably have more questions than you have answers right now. Um, and I'm glad you're here because you could have easily have chosen to stay away on this Easter Sunday. But like so many have been here before you, I will challenge you to do something. Continue to explore the question of who Jesus is. And the one question that really matters in life is this. What do I believe about Jesus Christ and will I trust him with my life? What do I believe about Jesus Christ and will I trust him with my life? That's the only question that really matters in all of life. And I believe if you will keep seeking that answer and you will come to the same conclusion that so many others have, that Jesus Christ is truly his Lord and Savior and God. I was reading this week um, some resources, and uh, I read about uh, Sir Lionel Luckhew. What a strange name, Sir Lionel Luckhew. Sir Lionel Luckhew uh, was a brilliant and savvy attorney. And the reason I read about him was because uh, he had 245 consecutive murder acquittals, which earned him the place in the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's most successful attorney. He was an incredibly smart guy, knighted by the Queen of England. Uh, became a diplomat. He had all these. He was incredibly intelligent and incredibly uh, successful. But early in his life, and actually for a long period of his life, he was a skeptic as well. And so one day, someone challenged him to begin to explore the claims of Christ, and especially the claims of the resurrection. And so he began to explore it in a sense. And I read about it actually in in in, uh, in, in a book uh, uh, that deals with some of these issues. And uh, as I read about it, he began to explore the, the historical facts of the resurrection under his own rigorous analysis that he would use in a trial case. And this is what he comes to the evidence at the conclusion of several years of exploration. He says this, I say unequivocally that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. Sir Lionel Luckhew became a follower of Christ after being a skeptic. And that's not the only reason that we can understand as well, because I think the, the, the greatest thing that, that one of the fact, one of the strongest proofs that the resurrection is true was that nearly all of the apostles, all of the followers of Jesus Christ died a martyr's death. Remember these same guys on Friday that were running away, denying Christ? These same guys that on Saturday had no hope? These same guys that came to the tomb on, on, on Sunday and, and was going like, I, I'm going to embalm the body, but, you know, I don't believe really, I have, can't really get my hand, hands around the fact that, that Jesus is gone. These same guys, almost every one of them, dies a horrible death as a martyr. Martyrs don't die, people don't die horrible deaths for a fraud. They were the ones that experienced the resurrection along with many others. If Jesus had not been resurrected, they would have feared death. And we'd have every reason to fear death as well. It's Sunday. God is inviting you to move from a Saturday state of mind 
into a Sunday state of mind. And it's your choice whether you'll do that. But it all is determined upon that one question that I asked you earlier. What is it you believe about Jesus Christ? And will you place your trust in him? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.